Bill Labonte keeps creating great albums. It's proof that his musical mind is constantly active and sharp as ever. With his new release, Into Something Blue, Labonte delivers a collection of work that includes original tunes, but he also finds inspiration in songs by The Drifters, Ray Charles, and even Bob Dylan. Think of these songs as wet clay in the hands of a master potter. And with a little help from guitarist Larry Carlton, that's what Bill Labonte does with music. He makes it his own with his own touch. As always, Bill never disappoints. He delivers. Inside Music Cast welcomes our good friend, Bill Labonte. Hey, Bill, welcome back to the show. I'm very glad to be here. Yeah, welcome. Yep. Hey, Bill, last time we talked a few years back, you had just released uh, an amazing album. It was called Back to Your Star, which included... She was a, a ton of huge players uh, that had collaborated on the project, like Larry Carlton, Robbie Buchanan, and I recall Dave Hungate, yeah. Steve Werner. I mean, gee whiz, you had all the guys there, and uh, so we we remember that project well. And absolutely, but now five years later, you know, you've or almost uh, you deliver another another great collection of tunes for us here, and and it's called Into Something Blue. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit. Uh, you know, during the duration of um, in between into something blue, and uh, back to your star, um, how much writing for this new project did you actually uh, uh, do recently or over the past few years? How did this come come to be from a writing perspective? It started out. It was going to be all outside material, and I was just going to do a whole lot of um, my favorite R and B songs and and blues from the past. And uh, I ended up doing doing more writing for it than I thought I would, okay. uh, just because I got into the spirit of uh, of the songs I was listening to and the ones I was recording. I did a Ray Charles song, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, did an old Drifter song, and just generally took a blues approach to everything. Sure. In between uh, doing Back to Your Star and uh, Into Something Blue, it was a few years, and and I was doing a lot of um, I would go and play in Japan and and with Larry a lot of times, or I would just take my own band. But Larry and I uh, got to work more together. He he appeared as 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 a, a guest performer of mine, and I appeared as one of his over the over the time. And the initial suggestion or impetus came from Larry. He said, "You." Sh-, he said, "In fact, we went over to play, and he said, I want I want to do some blues with you.' He said, "Why don't you learn?" some of your some blues songs you like and we'll do them together so one of the songs i learned was um funny but i still love you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the old ray charles song yeah right and um we just had such a great time we did some some of the old philadelphia songs um drowning in a sea of love uh-huh. was one of them and uh and then my old friend rick chudikoff who produced uh this record sure. blue has always wanted to do a blues record and a blues <laughs> R&B record with me. So um, we decided to do it. And in the past, I've always worked with great, uh, sought-after, wonderful players. I've been lucky enough to do that right. through the past. And, and um, as a result, I, n- I never really tried to impose my own musicianship, my keyboards. I, I was always there to play when it needed to be done, but I always had some wonderful keyboard player to work with me in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody from Larry Nechtel um, to um, Clarence McDonald and sure. uh, all kinds of different people. And um, this time I just thought it would be good instead of t- t- 
to, to go into the studio with a, a bunch of people who are professional players to put my own band together of guys that I just have always loved playing with. Sure, yeah. One of them was drummer, not to be confused with the artist, uh, my drummer friend, Jack White, who's, who's from Los Angeles. He's, yeah. a, he's always been a rock drummer. He's played with everybody from Ike and Tina Turner in the right. past, Steppenwolf. And we've always been friends, and we always threatened each other with doing some heavy playing together. And, and this, <laughs> this was an opportunity to do it. And, and my old and good friend, Rick Chudikoff, who's a, who's a great bass player, and besides being a great producer, and uh, the three of us just got together and started rehearsing like we were a garage band on, you know, just playing blues songs for our own joy and fulfillment <laughs> yeah. and learning my songs that I was trying to make as much of a blues approach as I possibly can. Ultimately, anything I do is going to sound like what I do, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's not dyed in the wool, but um, essentially I've always been sort of a, uh, R&B shouter and, and a blues singer in, in spite of uh, writing, trying to dedicate myself to a marketplace as a writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we just had fun. We, uh, we worked at Jack White's house. He had a Trident console there and he had a, a lot of wonderful drum mics that he'd acquired. And he lives in Leapers Fork, Tennessee, where, where a lot of uh, LA players and and artists have congregated over the years, from Donna Summer to Michael McDonald is out there. Yeah. So we just had fun. We'd go. We'd re- we'd get together like twice a week, and um, and jam on blues. And I would compose while I was there. And we would just we we were just uh, it was kind of like the what was it the Saturday Night Music Club or mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. yeah. And then Larry uh, would ask me what I was doing from time to time. And when I told him about this, he was very interested. He said, "I want to." participate in that and i certainly wasn't going to turn him down so it, it ultimately the band was larry and i and rick and jack and um we we approached the music as i said more like a band than a bunch of guys trying to get the perfect groove on the first take we wanted to sort of not only establish a groove but establish sort of a spirit to the whole thing so uh, so that's kind of the story of it. I don't know if there are any particular songs well, sure, uh, sure, you sure. have any curiosity about. But you know, we realize that some of the tracks on on Into Something Blue aren't aren't necessarily original compositions. You mentioned a, a couple that are uh, Ray Charles tunes and the the Drifters. Um, but uh, I'd love to know how differently you approached this new album per se. You know, compared to the the last one. I know, other than being a, a more bluesy record, uh, how did you do your selection of systematically choosing a you know. Obviously, there's so many cool classics. I mean, you even threw in a, a Dylan song in the in the project. Yeah, and I always thought "Subterranean Homesick Blues" was like a Chuck Berry song. I remember when when it came out on I think it was bringing it all back home, uh, listening to it and saying Dylan's been listening to Chuck Berry, and I used to do, do just the way he phrased reminded me of that. Yeah, and it's it's always been a favorite of mine. The song had four verses. Yeah, which were crammed full of poetic poetic type lyric. And I learned those four verses at a very young age. I think I was 19, 18 or 19 when I learned the song. And I never forgot those verses. P- 
partly because back then we were playing them every night in a band I was in. But then, you know, 30, 40 years went by, and I realized I still never forgot. I've forgotten my car keys, <laughs> my cell phone, but I never forgot <laughs> those verses. Yeah. And uh, that's just been a song I've always wanted to do. And it, it isn't what you would call a classic blues, as I wouldn't describe Dylan as a classic blues artist, but he's definitely a lover of blues. And, but um, the other songs, the Drifters song and the Ray Charles song, were songs also that I did at a young age uh-huh. uh, as a performer playing in, in bars and, and uh, roadhouses. Um, I did both of those songs. There were other songs that we wanted to do also, but it just got to the point where I, I was pulling in enough original songs that, that we ended up choosing those. And like I said, the approach was like an old garage band rehearsal as opposed to going in with players mm-hmm. who are so amazing that you want to get their very best in the first two or three takes. We were Instead of choosing takes, we were choosing days. <laughs> Sometimes. <Okay. clears throat> we recorded every day. Mm-hmm. And... Um, some days you, you'd have a different feel to something than yeah. another day. It was, it's kind of like the way a band is. And so it, it kind of worked that way. Essentially, there's a difference between a, a band and a, and a group of great session players. Yeah. They instantly become a band because they're so talented and they're yeah. so great. But this band was a real band. We actually even played a couple gigs, you know, around here and, uh, just sort of thought of ourselves as, as a band. Mm-hmm. And we're not, none of us are, are like spot on session players. We're just got, we're band guys, you know, yeah. so yeah. we right. approached it that way. So you, you approach this in the, in the recording more of a, uh, a full band uh, sort of approach than it, than you did like laying down separate parts and overdubbing, right? Yes. In fact, it, it was a very cut down band. We recorded as yeah. a trio, piano, bass, and drums. Okay. That's, and my vocals. And uh, Larry came in off and on as he was in town and overdubbed his guitar parts. But he, he kind of caught on to the spirit we were trying to get. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sound as much like he was there on any given day. Yeah. Was I mistaken or did, did Mark Douthat and, uh, and Tom Hemby, did they, they participate in this record, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, because uh, great sax work by Mark as normal. And uh, and Tom, how did he fit into the scheme of things as, as, uh, with uh, his guitar injections? Um, we, we had a couple things that I heard a slide guitar being dominant sort of in it. And somebody said, well, then you need to meet Tom Hanby because not only is he a great, great guitar player, but he does one of the best, some of the best slide playing. Oh, yeah, he's great. And so, you know, I went over to his house, and we, I think we had lunch one, to meet, and then I went over to, to Tom's house, and, and uh, I just fell in love with his guitar playing. In fact, he went, came, he went to Japan. He's been there twice with me now when I bring a band over there. Yeah, that's cool. And Mark was somebody I met through Larry, um, and he instantly became, I think, I think the tone, besides his incredible soulful playing, the tone he gets on the sax. Well, so I, I, I was lucky in that those guys were available for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, uh, getting down to the music and the tracks on the album, um, you start the album with, with a great slow groove called All This Time. And, and uh, again, you had Mark and Tom uh, you know, perfectly fitting in with, with solos and little accents on this one. And um, Tell me about you know, kind of the – you, know, you just described a second ago how you guys were – 
more of a band than studio musicians coming together. So tell me about their input. Their, you know, how did they inject themselves onto this song? And did you uh, produce this with a tight fist or was it pretty loose? It was very loose because yeah. uh, and the fact that we're not all uh, session studio players doesn't mean I didn't love the way they both play. Yeah. And, and as we do, we did when we were very young and we put our first bands together, we just wanted to hear each other play off each other. Yeah, yeah. And so that particular song, All This Time, was one of the later songs that I brought in. But the way that I would approach it is I would write the groove, sort of, the chords. I didn't have a title or lyrics. I had sort of a loose melody that I sort of caterwauled and yelled and shouted stuff you know ad-libbed yeah and, and they played they played that groove the way they felt it essentially and then as the song began to take shape more as a composition and a song it, it i tightened it up a little bit but in terms of saying this is the kind of this is where i want the kick drum to be and this is the kind of bass part i want there wasn't a whole lot of that going on they just sort of okay. found their their grooves on it and they evolved because like i said it wasn't like one of those sessions where you go in and try to get a rec- half a record done in one right. day. It, we we experimented around and we tried different things and to make our own to so we would liked our own parts a little more, you know, like a band. Yeah. Hey, Bill, Eddie, uh, let's take a break and let's check out this track from Bill's new album, Into Something Blue. And again, this is a track called All This Time.
there's a great line in one of the songs, and I believe it's called uh, "Everybody's uh, Got an Axe to Grind," in yeah. which uh, it's 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 a great line, by the way. <laughs> uh, something to build build a, a song on, and uh, but it's filled with some scatting, and it's it sort of drives. Uh, and then in, in, on I believe track three, you change the wiring a little, and you go into. If I'm correct, it's it's is it a clarinet solo that's that's backed up with a a tuba bass line? I mean, or was that just my imagination? <laughs> you know, that's that's a song called um, "Cooling Board." Okay, and the and the intro on "Cooling Board," it, I, it's kind of a pre. I want I wanted to write something that was kind of pre bebop blues. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, and kind of New Orleans or maybe some Dixieland, and and so. Uh, at that intro that I play on the piano, in my head I was hearing if you know if if somebody wanted to really produce it that you could have a horn player write out a really cool chart. Right. What I ended up doing um, was having, and I'm trying to remember Brian Cummings. Okay. I think, is the guy that played clarinet on that. Barry Green uh, played trombone and uh, Sousa, It was not, not sousaphone. I can't remember the name of the instrument. It's like a baritone horn. Okay. It plays on it. Just to sort of get this New Orleans kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing in it. No, without, without, you know, trying to create some sort of Dixieland track. Sure. I just wanted to get that vibe, of, that kind of a blues approach to it. Yeah. Well, at first I didn't even know where you were going with it. And I'm like, okay, stay with it. Stay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and where he was going. But then you broke it down into, you know, what I, you know, I consider your, the bounty-ish, you know groove and you know but then again later on you were able to to cameo the clarinet again it was a nice touch it was a very nice way to uh, approach that song that's a nice track well thank you hey another track that you you uh recorded on this album is the drifters classic if you don't come back and uh you know you actually really did a nice job of of, of you know uh, molding it into your own feel and you know this is a this is kind of a tune if you don't come back it, it's such a great tune and it can actually be played in so many different kinds of styles and feelings. And it's in the way you did it, it's not really the typical Motown feel, but it really works. Yeah. And the, the original recording, at least the first one I heard by the drifters, and it was very early, it was like 52 or 53. maybe. Uh, yep, yep. And it's like an old uh, New York style Calypso influenced by Jamaica or something, you know, mm. uh, almost like a folk thing with the drifters doing their inim- inimitable singing and style right it wasn't something that you would think of as adaptable to r&b or rock real heavy or rock i should say but when i was a kid there were a lot of uh, local bands playing r&b one among them growing up in oregon was paul revere and the raiders yeah and, and there was another group called the whalers from seattle right mm-hmm. and this particular arrangement of if you don't come back was sort of standard. Like there were three or four bands doing this song the same way they did Louie Louie. I gotcha. Yeah. So it was a song that a lot of people learned. Uh, I think it even has two more verses in it that I didn't sing that are in the <laughs> But the, it was sort of the way I remember doing it in the band that I was with. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, guys, let's take another break, and I'd love to check out this song. Uh, this is the Drifters classic called If You Don't Come Back. From our guest today, Bill LaBounty.
lost my mind If you don't come back Another tune, and you, you sort of hinted uh, to it a, a little while back. It's called Funny But I Still Love You. That's the classic Ray Charles tune. 
and yeah. it's it's perfect for you, Bill. I'm I'm glad you you chose this this uh, this this track to cover. You know, the original Ray Charles tune is is really if anybody was to to uh, to see it on YouTube, uh, it's sort of raw. It's got an upright piano and small kit bass, acoustic bass, and a guitar. And yeah. uh, and it, it's it's pure pure Ray Charles style, but you sort of take uh, an, an outright blues tune and make it work fine and add tons of roads and and by the way, who did the guitar solo? Was that Tom Heavy Hemby or was that Larry? That was Larry. Okay, really, really tasteful stuff. Beautiful. Thank you. That yeah, um, and the original by Ray is is up tempo and it's kind of playful. Mm-hmm. It's, I wouldn't call it up tempo, but it's more up tempo. I I took kind of a ballad approach to it, yeah, and um, and kind of a more of a blues the way a soulful white guy might do it, you know, as opposed <laughs> to that that era of Ray Charles. Anyway, that's sort of the difference between the between the two. Right, right. Well, hey, we love what you did with uh, Bob Dylan's uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues. And, uh, you know, when, when Dylan released that song in 65, he, he also recorded a, you know, they, they shot a hugely famous video where he holds, you know, the hand-lettered signs and, and throws them down on the ground. And tell us about your take on this legendary tune and, and how you added some, some Bill of Bounty to it. Earlier, I, was, I mentioned that when I bought, uh, bring, I think it's Bringing It All Back Home. The, the original album, Dylan album, that, the, mm-hmm. that Subterranean was yeah. on. And it occurred to me that Dylan was very much, I think, I mean, if I don't, it'd be nice if he were here to ask, but I think <laughs> he was very much influenced by Chuck Berry, just on that, just the way he, the yeah. way that blues came up, the way he phrased it. Yep. With the rock. Of course, Dylan really, being the poet that he is, really went to town with the, with the, the, the rhyming in the on, in the lyric, right, right. I just love that, and but the way Dylan phrased was very rhythmic, just the same way Chuck Berry used to, and I instantly fell in love with that song as a kid, and learned it and sang it. It had four verses, and as I was saying before, I learned those four verses and never really forgot them. I could always sort of like sing it on demand if somebody if somebody brought up the title. I would <laughs> <laughs> but my approach is just you know I'm a keyboard player. I didn't have uh, wasn't Al Cooper who was the great Michael Bloomfield played the wonderful guitar on Dylan's original, and it was and it had almost sort of a country blues approach you know and and uh, I guess my blues is not it's if I'm going to call myself a blues singer on any given song it's not going to be that Texas blues style. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be from where I grew up, and I, and I think Carlton did too, to a certain degree. Uh, the West Coast kind of blues, yeah. the West Montgomery, um, right? Cooler kind of blues, you know. And it had a sort of like um, like West Coast bebop. West Coast, there was a West Coast blues, and it and it was just sort of a a cooler kind of approach to the sound. It wasn't as aggressive as as uh, maybe the East Coast or Texas or. Or even Chicago, yeah. And so I, I that was that was the geography that I grew up in. So I guess that was more my influence. You know, uh, I must say that you know that you surely parked a beautiful um, track. It's called "Into Something Blue," the title cut in the right spot. I mean, it's it's the perfect ending to this work. That's in fact, it's probably you know my favorite. The piano parts, lyrics. Um, it tells me sort of of your approach of, you know, you broke away from the blues a little bit and sort of the less is more, pure quality, you know. Uh, and if I'm correct, didn't you add a couple, some strings 
and, and a couple bars that were uh, sort of subtle or not? Or was that? Yeah, there, way back in the mix, some padding. Okay, all right. Interestingly, that song, a few years ago, talking about West Coast blues and R&B, was recorded by Bill Medley. And if you want to hear a, good, a great version of it that's with, with full orchestration and, and uh, production, they, he did a beautiful version of it. And uh, I didn't even think about including this song on this project. And then all of a sudden it, occur, it occurred to me that um, Into Something Blue, which should, would be a nice title, had the word blue in it. And, and yeah. so I thought, I'm going to just, I'll just tag the record with this song and we'll call it Into Something Blue. Hey guys, let's take one final break and check out this track, uh, the title track from the album Into Something Blue, from our guest today, Bill Bounty. Make yourself right at home I put some music on Who knows we might break down And hit us a laugh or two But from the way my day's been running I think I know what's coming so give me just a minute Cause my heart ain't quite in Excuse me while I slip Into something blue To get me in the mood For letting go of you Before my world gets turned into Excuse me while I slip into something blue Just keep sitting there like that I promise I'll come right back Think you know where the glasses are, and we'll stir up all the old emotions together in slow motion once more for the good times. If this is for the last time. Slip into something blue to get me in the mood for letting go of you before my brow gets turned into. Excuse me while I slip into something blue. I think I know 
was coming Give me just a minute Cause my heart ain't quite in One more for the good times If this is for the last time Excuse me while I slip Hey, you know, we've talked uh, intermittently here about Larry Carlton and his involvement on the album. And, you know, you said that he sort of uh, showed up when his schedule permitted. But how extensively did you use Larry on, on the album? And, uh, you know, like how many tracks? And uh, um, I was just curious about, his, you know, just the amount of involvement he had on the project. Larry, he played pretty lavishly on it. Um, mm-hmm. He played on looking at the tracks. He played on All This Time, Axe to Grind, The Cooling Board. Stray Dog, and he he played on almost everything. He played on the title track in, into something blue, and he gave a lot of times. You know, Larry, he doesn't play on a, on a lot of projects, and when he does, it sort of features. He sort of features as featured as Larry Carlton doing, basically patented wonderful Larry Carlton interpretation of yeah. a solo and a, and a melody, and um, I've always felt like. I'm lucky enough to have Larry in the room here. I'm not going to ask him to do a comp part and a rhythm part here. And but he he actually I I would I sent him the tracks and he would show up at the studio with two and three parts and I was just overjoyed. <laughs> wow! To, to, not on everything, but on on a lot of the things. That's very cool. Hey, you know when I was listening to this album all the way through, it you know it's it's like you said earlier. Um, it was basically just, uh, you know, three parts, you know, essentially, you know, the guitar, uh, drums and, and, and some keys, right? Yeah. Well, nice. and you can tell it has a real, you know, the, the whole album, the whole feel has a real open, it's tight, but it's real open. There's a lot of air, it really breathes. And uh, I was curious to know, it, it almost, I mean, I don't know how you recorded this. And that's what, that's what my question is, is uh, it kind of has, when I, when I listen to it, a kind of a throwback analog kind of a feel to it. And uh, which is really nice. It doesn't, it, you know, it, and how did you record it? Was uh, probably straight into Pro Tools. Is that right? Yeah, we went through, we did the drums through uh, Jack White's console, uh-huh. Trident modules. And then we had this wonderful guy named from Muscle Shoals named Don Strigley, who's a great uh, tracking engineer. With, okay. He would show up with these Pro Tools and he uh, just ran the whole thing then through his Pro Tools. This, okay you know, the sound we were getting in the room. And we did, we just wanted to, we wanted to get real performances of the tracks yeah. more than anything. Uh, and not being ace star players, we're all proud of our playing, but we, we did more than one or two versions of it. Like I said, we might have a version we did last Thursday that's a little better than the one on Wednesday, and we yeah. listened to them. And we, then we would pick, we essentially picked one performance that right. we did each song that we really liked 
while we were uh, going through the process. Yeah, I was just curious, you know, how, you know, in terms of the recording process, because you know, it's it's a trend now to try to find old analog tape and, and good machines that are aligned well and and record uh, analog. Because this this album had a to me, it had sort of a, a really nice warm analog feel to it. So I didn't know if maybe you pulled out some old tape machines and did it that way, <laughs> at least at least to track it and then finish it in Pro Tools or something. Well, thank you. Um, I'm sure the Trident modules, doing the drums through the Trident, yeah, a lot of that, and then yeah. I did my vocals through a, a, a little Neve module that I had, okay, and and some old antique mics that I tried. I there was there's one mic, uh, it's a Neumann, and I can't remember the model number, but it was reputed to be the one that Ray used uh, when he recorded it. Maybe a U47 or a U87. That's what it was. It was a 47. Yeah, probably a 47. And when I sang, I'd never sung in a mic like that. Um, usually I, I, I sing in a, a, a AKG. A 414. And, yeah, or a gold one. You know, I, and, mm-hmm. and, but I'd never sung through one of these old antique mics. And when I listened yeah. to myself, it really sounded funky. You know, I thought, is, is, this, is this good? And, and then when I started listening to the to the 47 uh-huh. sounds like it's in a box mm, sort of. yeah yeah that's then i realized hey that's the sound <laughs> <laughs> right exactly that, yeah. that's the sound that they're that they want to get that that these things do and on one song on my record in particular it's called stray dog blues uh-huh. you can really hear the sound of that mic on it it's just it's like i'm in a little in the same little box that a whole lot of other r&b guys were in that's cool. Well, how extensively will you do live shows in support of the album? Or are you going to be playing mostly in the Nashville area if you do shows? Or will you branch out and play regionally or maybe you know go to the coasts or anything like that? Any plans for that? I'm in the process of putting together um, doing shows in Sweden. Okay. And I've got a couple connections there that are trying to... Nowadays, uh, taking a full band overseas is can be an expensive process. But we're trying to work this out so that we'll have enough dates to make it a worthwhile thing. And that would be more like late fall. Well, we'll have to be sure to let um, our uh, two Swedish correspondents, Mikael Engström and Mats Unilan, know, uh, because they're over in Sweden uh, in the Stockholm area, and perhaps they can come check you out when, when you go over there. I would love it. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll keep, I'm, I'm uh, talking to some great guys in Sweden right now about going. Well, Bill, this has been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you and uh, learning more about uh, your new album, uh, Into Something Blue. And, uh, and it's, 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 it's a fabulous record, and uh, Eddie and I can't say anything more glowing about it. Maybe we could, but uh, <laughs> then we'd probably sound too saccharine and like we're... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We wouldn't want that. It'll sound as if we're kissing up. No. <laughs> but you can get the CD at BillLabani.com. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where, where else, Bill? Um Right now, that's the only place you okay. can get the CD, other than you can buy it through Amazon from, from the original, from, uh, I think it's a um, JVC through, okay. J- through Japan. Okay. I see. Okay. Wonderful. It's not up, is it not on uh, any uh, downloadable uh, oh, outlet? Oh, of course. Of course, it's on every possible uh, okay. download site from iTunes to... Perfect. Every, I think it's even on on Spotify, which I don't know if I'm thrilled about or not. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the reaction with most people. They're not you know. quite sure if they want to be up there exactly. or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks so much, Bill. We've appreciated your time. All right. Thank you, guys, Rick and Eddie. All, All right. Take, take care. Bye. We'll Bye-bye. see you. Bye-bye. 
special thanks to Bill LeBounty for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Booktown, downtown, Eastside West. Come on now, get it off your chest. A preacher stands on every stump, trying to make his Bible thump. The more you live, the more you find. Just how bad you want to speak your mind. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zabe, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sossaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Unilon for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Ah!